When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Popheads and welcome to issue 25 of 3BZ Presents, the Tomcast Podcast, aka Popcast. This is Tom, and I am here today to do a special episode of the Tomcast Popcast, and that would be a wrap-up episode for America's favorite TV show, Game of Thrones. Please follow the show at Tomcast underscore Popcast on Twitter and at the Tomcast underscore Popcast on Instagram. This is the pop culture show that knows the real winner of Game of Thrones was, in fact, George R.R. Martin himself collecting those fat paychecks from HBO. Um, so, yeah, this past weekend, Game of Thrones, the, the, the pop culture phenomenon that is Game of Thrones, the, 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 the fantasy show that came out of nowhere to become a massive, massive inf- influence and, and force in the world of pop culture, uh, uh, came to an end. It's uh, season eight, episode six, titled "The Iron Throne." Closed the uh, closed the, the book on Westeros for for all of the the dedicated millions and millions of people who watched the show. If not from the beginning, they got on board and they they finished strong. That's for sure. Uh, but as as one might expect, it did not go uh, super smoothly. You know, it's uh, again as as the past two seasons have been. It, it, it is a widely divisive episode of the show. A lot of controversies, a lot of... of uh, I, guess, I guess we'll go with, with fan rage and outcry and, and just general unhappiness, you know, and that, that can all stem from a lot of different things, whether that's, that's just, um, you know, getting, getting really invested in, in a particular character and then finding out that they uh, were not, in fact, going to sit on the Iron Throne, or whether that was, like, you had... You, you had bought so much into one particular fan theory and you became convinced that that was the theory that was going to win them all and then you were proved wrong and that didn't sit well with you. There, there's a lot of reasons why the episode is divisive and I think a lot of them, a lot of people, we all kind of have the same complaints. Um, but before I dive into this, I do want to say that I am not a uh, complainer about the the way the show wrapped up. I think a lot of it makes a ton of sense. It it, it works logically for the logic of the show. Um, so I didn't have any any reservations or or head scratching moments necessarily about like uh, uh, you know or trying. I didn't get uh, bewildered while while they were kind of playing out the the end game there, and, and we were seeing how. Uh, Westeros was going to move forward. There are there are some head scratching kind of things in there, but it was I, not enough that I was willing to uh, uh, torch the show on on the internet. I didn't run to Twitter so I could lodge complaints. I did not uh, go to change.org to sign a petition to reshoot the entire season eight, uh, <laughs> which is just insane. But that's uh, neither here nor there, I suppose. Uh, what I want to say too is if you know it. Season eight was it had a lot to do in a short amount of time. The truncated season, six episodes. Sure, they were longer than the normal episodes, but uh, six episodes is not a lot of time to kind of do some of the complex layering and and, and having that depth of character that the show is is well known for. But like I said, I think they got the characters where they need to go. Whether we agree or not with the journey they took to get to those particular places. Yeah, I, I can't argue with the fact that maybe it was a bit rushed. 
and and I don't think um, even the, the staunchest of, of defenders of the show can 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 argue against that. It, it was clearly rushed. The show would have been better served by having more episodes to not only to kind of more fully tell the tale of these of this massive cast of characters that that we are now invested in. Um, it would have done well. And again, another another thing they let they let have happen in the, in the early seasons of the show was they they let things breathe a little bit. Like there was a little bit of like room to kind of like exhale and, and and take in what had just happened. And that that kind of plays into uh, the sense again another argument that, that popped up on the internet is like the, it seemed like the show kind of lost its sense of consequence and the the rushed finales the, this rushed final season and you could argue even even season seven really kind of diminished the, the, the consequences of, of, of actions, of, of choices, of decisions that were made by the characters in the show. And again, you're not going to catch me arguing about that. But I felt, and maybe I'm, it, it, I'm, it's possible I'm in the minority on this, I felt uh, satiated <laughs> by the finale. Like I said, they got the characters where they wanted to go. Um, and I, you know, again, like I said, the journey could have been better, but I know... I know there's a world out there sometime in the future. George R. R. Martin is going to finish these books, and I will have the books to go to, and I can read his version of how these characters get to these points. There is a there is a lot that they have in these books that they don't they don't cover in the show, and so it's it is a much more I don't want to say it is a wholly different experience reading the books, but it is it is uh, I think you'll definitely get a better journey, a more complete journey for each of these characters as they have progress to their endpoints as, as we saw in the show will each character have a different endpoint i'm not necessarily sure about that but i think the way they get to their endpoints will be uh more developed and more uh, more fitting i suppose because because we'll kind of be able to experience that journey with them you know shortcuts were taken that's all i can say I wanted to give a special shout out to uh, our good friends Jeff and Casey Nail, who were so nice enough. Uh, they they say they sat down and they recorded a, their thoughts on the episode for me yesterday. I was hoping to get together with them to do the show, but I was a little bit behind on some things. I wanted to I wanted to rewatch the show. I still put my notes together, and I just didn't. I couldn't make it work. I was I was unprepared, and that's I, that is totally my fault. They were nice enough to record something. Um, that I was hoping to use for the show, but I'm not sure I can because they are, uh, woo, scathing is the best word I can think of to say. But I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out something to work into the show for them because they they, they went through all that that time and effort. Um, but and I I'm hoping that as I talk, you know, they if they listen, if they are kind enough to listen back, they'll they'll know that I agree with them on some things. But there are some things that I don't, and that's okay because that's just kind of how our discussion would have gone too. The the biggest thing I can say is yeah I I think the show needed more time. But this is what we got, and uh, I can't argue with that. I don't want to. I have a hard time lambasting writers and creators for finishing their story the way that they want to finish it. That's, you know, I I I have a hard time doing that. Oh, I would have done this, or I would have done that thing. That's not really why I enjoy writing and, and reading so much. Uh, because it, you know, if I if I want to have a say in how a story ends, I should write and write my own story, and I'll have it end whatever way I want it to. And so, I don't want to go down that road where it's like, oh, it should have been this, it should have been that, it could have been this, it could have been that. They the choices were made, and that's that's just the way it is. Can you argue that? Uh, and I actually, this is the camp I am in. 
so bear with me. But it can be argued that once the show's surpassed the books, that is when there was a bit of a sag in the narrative where it, it, it did tend to drop off a little bit as far as the depth and the complexity of the characters. And perhaps that is some of the impetus for make, making these, these truncated seasons so they, they could finish the story faster and not have to necessarily deal with certain things. And maybe that's lazy in, in some senses, but I, I you know, Again, it's another word I have a hard time throwing around because I'm not there. I'm not in the writer's room. I'm not, I'm not in the production meetings. I don't really know what's going on. I don't know what HBO's mindset was on the show. I don't really know where, where Weiss and Benioff were with their with their thought process and everything. So, I, again, I don't want to lambast those guys. This show was... Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's a... I don't want to say a linchpin moment, but it's, it's, a, it's a really big pop culture moment for a show like this, a show that is a fantasy show. Granted, it is rooted in a lot of real-world things, like the politics and everything like that, that people can understand. You know, people understand betrayal, deception, murder, things like that. It, it all just, that all makes sense. The dragons are fun, but you kind of had to get there. They had to, the show did a good job of earning that, I think. And so uh, once the books were no longer uh, source material, it, it did become more of a TV show than I think we were accustomed to because we were getting a really really strong adaptation of, 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 of source material, which, uh, it's landmark. I know in my opinion, this show is a landmark. It was a stunning achievement. It's a crowning achievement. Even if you weren't a fan of the last two seasons or even the way that it finished, the show is still an achievement in, in television history. And it, it, uh, I, I, I tip my cap. I doth my cap at thee. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. I can't wait to rewatch the show because because I already kind of miss it. So something that I, I do want to point out, I did mention that Casey and Jeff were nice enough to to record a little a little uh, segment for the show, um, and they were definitely on one side of the spectrum as far as reaction to to the episode goes and, and to the, the the way the season wrapped up overall. Uh, you know, I also talked to to Cody and Mike and a couple of other friends too with the hope of maybe having them come on as well. And they were on the other end of the spectrum where they enjoyed the show much more and they got more out of it. And so I was kind of stuck in the middle of, well, what kind of show do I want to have to wrap up Game of Thrones? And, and um, you know, they, 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 talking to one of my friends is probably like you talking to your friends. I mean, there were some people who were all about it, all for it, and then the other people that you know who probably dismissed it and hated it. And uh, I think that is a fair representation because this seems to be uh, dividing the people right down the middle, which I guess that just is a, a general statement on the on the way America looks right now. We're just right down the middle, baby. One side over here, one side over there, and we can't agree on anything. Um, but, but let's get into it. What do you think? I'm gonna let's go ahead and hit the spoiler alert. What do you think? All right, let's hit that spoiler alert. The alarm has been sounded, and now it's time to dive in. All right, after episode five, which is uh, the episode titled The Bells, which is the attack on King's Landing, I had to fight every urge, every fist shaking. I have to run to the, to the computer. I have to record. I want to do a podcast right now and, and talk about my feelings. I had to fight all that down because I was having an emotional reaction to, to the episode. I was, I was fired up. I was ready to go. Fired up literally in the case of the show. When I took a moment to catch my breath, and I sat down and I watched, I actually watched the episode fairly quickly to back to back, not quite back to back. I put a little like an hour or two in between there, uh, and I went back into it and and I, with the, with the much more level head to it, and um, I decided not to 
come and record last week. That's why the, that's why there was a week off last week. I probably should have announced it on Twitter that I was going to skip a week because I wanted to. I wanted to see where this was going to go. I wanted to give the show a chance to. I wanted to give the show a chance to kind of address what it brought up, and I'm glad I did because I think we got a lot of the addressing in this week's episode, in the, in the finale, in the conclusion. So I, I feel like I didn't have to waste anybody's time making you listen to me ramble or rant about something. And uh, I'll be honest, my, my, the entire episode would have been my defense of why it makes sense for, for, for Danny to have scorched the entire city, why that all makes sense from day one, and how uh, we just weren't accepting of the fact. Which is what Tyrion tells us later in, in this episode, but I'm going to get to all that. So I do want to talk about a couple things from episode seven. I'm sorry, from episode uh, episode five, the bells. All right. Uh, my first question to myself was: Is Danny's heel turn earned, or did we find it abrupt? I did not find it abrupt. I, I think we just—if you found it abrupt—I don't know if you were invested too much in that character, which I think is what they wanted. You, you're supposed to be invested in that character. That character is fantastic. Um, from where again, the journey these characters go on is incredible. Danny's where she starts in season one to where she ends now. It's a hell of an arc. It's a hell of a trip. Um, but as Tyrion pointed out, she was killing a lot of fools. We just didn't care so much because they were bad dudes. Uh, so it, it wasn't. I again, I was not shocked by her actions. I would have liked to see a little bit more of her getting to that point. But the whole, the whole Mad Queen thing, I think, is getting blown out of proportion because it's not like she was riding around on the dragon laughing maniacally as she's blowing up buildings and scorching the citizens of King's Landing. Um, so don't, don't get it twisted. The, the, the Mad King thing, the, 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 mad, you know, the, the Tar- Targaryen blood going bad, I'm not 100% sold on that, that take that she just lost her marbles. Because I still think she believes in what she's doing and that she's doing the right thing and that she's saving the world. And I, th- I think we saw, we saw that evidence in episode eight. Do we, you know, maybe we don't like what happened to her and we don't like the way it ended. I, I can understand that. But that's just, I, that's just the, the hand she was dealt, apparently. And uh, that's where they decided to take the story to. My other notes from that episode. All right. Now, this is the one that does get me going a little bit. Jamie and Cersei's arc come to a conclusion. And I'm not really sure how I felt about that. Cersei's in particular was 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 complicated because after everything we've seen her do, all the all the underhanded, conniving, deceptive things that she's done, um, I really wanted her to her comeuppance to be a lot more uh spectacular and and just kind of like it, 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 a Game of Thrones moment, I guess, is what I was looking for. Something just like a, a insane killing or something like that where somebody just gets Cersei with a way she has never gotten before. She got got is what I wanted, but she did not get got got. She got a bunch of bricks on her head, which is fine, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> the there's A lot of people had a, a, a troubling reaction to, to Jamie's leaving of, of Brienne and going back to Cersei. Um, like a lot of people, I, I, I bought into the fact that he was leaving Brienne so he go to King's Landing so that he could kill Cersei is, is what I thought. Uh, that was disproved very quickly in, in the Bells episode uh, where he is is trying to save her. And so um, people have expressed frustration that Jamie's redemption arc was, un, was not completed. And um, I think I was disappointed too, but I think at the same time, 
I understand why it wasn't. Uh, you know, it, it, I think Jamie in his redemption arc, I think he realizes he was kind of fighting against himself. Like he is who he is, so he's going to go back to being who he is, and that's the 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 person who's in love with his sister more than anything else in the world. Whether that's right or wrong, I, I, that's for each of us to decide for ourselves. So while I again, I love a good redemption story, uh, but Jamie just didn't seem interested in it in the long run. He, you know, he he did his bit. He fought at the at the Battle of Winterfell. And, you know, he tried to defend the, the world of man, man or, world of man. I guess we shouldn't really say the world of man anymore, but they, they love saying on Game of Thrones. Uh, the, but the world of humans, the living, you know, he fought for the side of the living. And then uh, he realized, and maybe it was in the battle, he realized that like all he wanted to do was be with his sister. So he went and did that. I don't, you know, I don't know. That, you know, maybe he spent his night with Brienne and realized it wasn't the same and it wasn't what he wanted. I, you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to, to contemplate some of the, the characters' thought choices. And I guess it's a good lesson for life, too, because, you know, you don't always get redemption in life. Not everyone is redeemed. Some people are just who they are. And I think that's what, what Jamie ultimately decided about himself. So, again, would I like to see that redemption? Sure. Would I like to see uh, Cersei get her eyes plucked out by Arya? Definitely. Happy, happy, joy, joy, happy. But again, Game of Thrones has, has been teaching us since season one where we don't get, always get what we want. So in a, in a lot of ways, the, the way they, 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 they die makes a lot of sense. All right, then <laughs> this is just a kind of an amusing question for myself to put out there to the world, but uh, what was the point of Euron Greyjoy other than a guy with a bunch of boats? Because he was fucking useless, wasn't he? The Greyjoy characters are a lot more interesting in the novels than, than they have been on the show. Uh, they are you know, more or less relegated to, to, to tertiary characters in, in, in the show. And rightly so, because the Iron Island stuff is a little... It can be a little tedious sometimes, all the, all the different things they have going on, because the Iron Island folk have an interesting train of thought on how they do things. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't care for Euron. I was really hoping Jamie would just bash his head in with a rock. I was a little annoyed he just let him bleed out on the... On the uh, on the beach there, actually, I was a little bit more annoyed that the dragon just didn't eat him because that would have been way cooler. So yeah, bad bad Euron Greyjoy. I'm glad you're dead. No one will miss you, especially your 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 kin. Now that Yara's in charge. All right, let's get into it. Let's get into the final episode of Game of Thrones, the Iron Throne, and just kind of uh, just kind of start at the, at the beginning of the episode. We you know we open up with with Tyrion uh, walking through the devastation of King's Landing. Ash falling from the sky. You have the fallout of a. Of a you're witnessing the. Or you're you're seeing the fallout of a dragon attack and what that would look like. It's, it's shock and horror on the faces of, of not only Tyrion but he's also with Ser Davos and Jon Snow as they walk through the city towards the Red Keep. Uh, along the way, they they encounter Grey Worm as he and his unsullied are executing Lannister POWs, which. I have a thought about that that'll come back later on in the show. But he's doing it on Danny's orders, which Jon Snow does not enjoy finding out about. Tyrion's making his way to the Red Keep. He's he's clearly going to to he wants to find out the fate of his, his siblings. He wants to know if, if Jamie and, and Cersei are dead. You know, Tyrion's uh feelings for his family have been super complicated since day one. I love the scene with him and Jamie uh previous in in, in the Bells when when Tyrion sets him free. Uh, that's just a powerful, powerful scene between uh, two actors giving it, giving it their all, knowing this is this is their end, their ends coming here, and and Tyrion thanking Jamie for for basically keeping him alive as a child, protecting him from, you know, from from Cersei, from 
the wrath of his father. I mean, it's there. There was a lot, lot to unpack there with those two characters. Um, I, it was one of the one of the relationships I think that paid off the most. You know, I, I would have loved to see more, but we got we we got so many nice moments with those two characters in this season. That is one of the stronger points of season eight. Is seeing Jamie and and Tyrion kind of reconnecting and, and bonding again, and um, I think that paid off really really lovely, in a re- in a really lovely way. So Jamie, or I'm sorry, so so Tyrion d- descends the Red Keep into the stairwell where he instructed Jamie to take Cersei in, in in their quest to find a boat. Now this is a little bit of a, this is definitely a nitpick or a quibble. You can you can you can say that whatever you want. Tyrion's able to access that that cavernous area where the where the roof caved in on top of Cersei and Jamie pretty easily and uh in the episode prior when when that when that roof collapses on him it looks like a pretty total collapse but apparently you know maybe it's a continuity error on the part of the production maybe they just want that dramatic moment of Tyrion finding his his family's bodies <laughs> but apparently if jamie and, and cersei were hugging about four feet to the left uh, they would have been just fine and the bricks would have missed them so that was weird <laughs> yeah i don't know <laughs> I, I also wonder if part of that that scene, if, if Tyrion discovering his family's bodies had a lot to do with the fact that, you know, he was looking for some. Maybe maybe Tyrion was still looking for some kind of of way to still believe in 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 Danny and and you know Daenerys Targaryen. If if maybe his family were still alive, he wouldn't be as convinced as he becomes that she it's she can't go to she cannot sit on the Iron Throne. And uh, seeing his family, uh, yeah, pretty much put put a pin in that one. All right. Then we get a really cool scene with you had a great scene with, with Daenerys' forces gathered up by the stairwell. It's a little, it's a little Hitler-esque. You know, it's a, it's powerful imagery. You get a great shot of of Danny walking towards the, the crowd with the with Drogon's wings behind her. Very evocative. Very like you know she has become the dragon kind of train of thought with that image. Striking. Very really good stuff. Uh, and John is is working his way up the stairwell to to witness Danny address address her troops, uh, the Unsullied and the and the Dothraki. Who um, apparently it's been it's been admitted that in a bit of oversight they they put too many Unsullied and too many Dothraki into that scene, which is interesting to hear about after the fact. So I wonder if HBO might go in there and, and tweak that a little bit because yeah, you would have thought there would be more Dothraki that didn't make it out of the Battle of Winterfell, but. You know, it is what it is. And uh, we basically get a scene where, where, where um, yeah, Danny's not done fighting. You know, she is going to sit on the Iron Throne, and but the war is not over. Uh, she's vowed to liberate the world from tyrants, and she specifically mentions Winterfell and Lannisport, which I don't think either Tyrion or Jon are too stoked to hear those names mentioned. During this scene... Tyrion, uh, another great moment. Peter Dinklage, I, I think, crushes uh, most of his scenes in this episode. I think he does a really phenomenal job in it. Uh, and he, after after she's done addressing the Unsullied, he approaches her, rips the pin, the hand of the hand of the queen pin from his chest, and throws it down the stairwell. And because he knows his time is done, she knows he knows that she knows that he let Jamie free, and that uh, he's he's about to pay the price for that. And so, Danny has him arrested. And she walks off to the Red Keep, which is when Arya makes herself known to Jon, and they have a nice little conversation. <laughs> well, not a nice one, but the one Jon needs. You know, he needs. Jon is still. 
I don't know if he's in shock or not, but he's not willing to write off Danny yet. He still believes that she is his queen and he is loyal to a fault at this point. But Arya points out very astutely that he, she knows a killer when she sees one. Next, we get a nice scene with John visiting Tyrion as he's a prisoner. He's held captive in a room, the Unsullied are outside. And uh, it's a pivotal scene for the finale. Uh, the words that Tyrion chooses, they echo in John's brain, and that echo comes to the forefront later when John confronts Danny. Uh, John is attempting to d- defend Danny's actions, offering explanation after explanation. And, and, and Tyrion, you know, he points out the, what I mentioned earlier, the, 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 the rebuttal that I was waiting for last week was, we have watched her do awful, horrible things, and we cheered her for it because they were bad people. And that's, that went, you know, whether that went to her head or not, but like that, but she was, she's been doing this since day one, since she got the dragons and since she started getting a little taste of, of power. And again, you, you know, John's not hearing it and, and Danny, and, and I'm sorry, and then, uh, and John is not hearing it from, from Tyrion and Tyrion just asks him a simple question. He's like, would you have done it? And, and John tries to deflect that, saying it, it, does, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I would have done. And Tyrion's like, no, it matters very much what you would have done. Uh, it's, it's, there's some great spots. Again, this, is, this scene is pivotal. I could watch this over and over again. One of the things that I think doesn't get mentioned enough is the sort of bond that John and Tyrion formed in season one when they rode north to the wall together. And they've had some, several nice moments since they all kind of connected again a season or two ago. The, this scene, I think, pays it off the most because John uh, mentions a, uh, Master Amon from, from the wall, from when he first got there. And he, he mentions the, the line, love is the death of duty. And it, it's, again, it, it's, it's kind of showing John's state of mind, why he is so focused. And I think he does love Danny. I think he truly, truly does. And that's why he doesn't want to believe what Tyrion is saying about her. And it's not until John is, very, is, is, John is walking away from Tyrion at this point, and he's, he's saying he's sorry that this is happening to him. He wishes there was something he could do about it. And just as John's about to get to the door is when Tyrion kind of pulls his ace card out, and he says, what about your sisters? What's going to happen to Sansa and Arya? Everyone knows Arya's not going to... Sorry, not Arya. Well, Arya, too. But Sansa is not going to bend the knee to Danny, she's not. This is this is something we've known since the season started. It wasn't going to happen. And J- John's response is, uh, she doesn't get to choose. And so Tyrion uh, responds, no, but you do. And you have to choose now. Which leads us to, um, again, in my opinion, the, this is, this is the, the big moment of this fin- final episode. And it's with Danny in the throne room approaching ash and snow falling from the sky as she approaches the iron throne she briefly briefly touches the throne with one hand but she's never she never sits on it and her one hand is basically as far as she's going to get john arrives into the throne room and danny just is beside herself she's happy she's having she's sharing uh, with john stories of of her childhood when her brother would tell her stories about the iron throne and it's kind of it. It shows like that that innocent, whimsical, doe-eyed Danny that we we have seen before. 
and, and John's not having it. He shuts that down pretty quickly when he talks about the burned uh, children and women in the streets of Westeros. I'm sorry, in the streets of King's Landing. And it gets it gets pretty tense pretty quickly from there. As as you know, John, I think he's trying to give her every chance he can to to assuage the fears that that, that Tyrion has. John is really trying. Like I said, he's really trying to find an out for Danny. John asks Danny about the world she wants to create, the the good world that she wants to create for the people. And uh, John asks her, he says, "How do you know it will be good?" Danny's, Danny's response is, because I know what good is. Which, that's straight tyrant talk. Danny can talk about killing tyrants all she wants, but she's clearly one with talk like that. The, uh, John's response to that line is, what about everyone else? All the other people who think they know what's good. And here we get the echo from, from the Tyrion conversation when Danny says, they don't get to choose. And I think that's the, that's that was it. That was the kind of like the last moment that, that I think that's where John decided that yeah he has to kill her, and so they they embrace in a nice final kiss where where John says that she'll always be his queen, and then he he stabs her supposedly in the heart. I don't think he got it. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. It looked like it was on the wrong side of her body for it to be the heart, but she dies relatively quickly, which. I don't know. Maybe her constitution is just weaker than Jamie Lannister's, who took two knifings last week and was able to walk around just fine. But that's neither here nor there. So she dies. It's um, it's a scene I thought was shot actually very well. Um, like I said, with the ash and the, and the snow mixed together, uh, the pool of blood gently flowing behind her. It's it's pretty reminiscent of actually the scene where John is stabbed at the end of I think that was in season five, um, where he's stabbed by the Night's Watch and kind of bleeds out in the snow as well in a very similar fashion to, to Danny's. So there's a lot of, I think there's a little bit of an echo there. There's a little callback, I should say, to that, to that particular scene. And that's only the halfway point of this episode. Uh, you know, that's around the, around the 40 minute mark and there's still a lot to do. But as Danny passes her dragon, Drogon, he's, he's where he's aware they have a connection. Uh, the, the Targaryens and their dragons have been bonded for hundreds of years whenever there's been dragons and Targaryens together. There, there's a bond between the two. So Drogon knows that his, you know, quote-unquote mother, is dead. And so it's... Uh, it's he, Drogon flies up into the Red Keep and, and you know, f- finds Danny's body and he's not real happy about it. Uh, there's been some speculation on to why Drogon didn't kill Jon right then and there. I... My... my bit of speculation is that he I don't think he can because John has the Targaryen blood as well and I think there's some kind of some kind of thing between the Targaryens and the dragons where a, a dragon can't harm a Targaryen but I could be dead wrong about that uh, I haven't seen anything that says I'm wrong about it but please I'm sure someone on Twitter will let me know uh, so I think that's why he doesn't kill John right there uh, what he does do instead is what was accurately predicted on this podcast by Cody and and echoed by by me as well as I agreed with him 100%. Drogon in a fit of emotional rage I suppose melts the Iron Throne with his dragon fire. Uh, Cody and I were big believers in the fact that the Iron Throne uh, was not going to be sat upon by anybody in the, in this in the show in the finale. And uh, it's one of the few things that I got right about the show. 
<laughs> which I, I'm, I'm happy to admit, I'm, I, I don't, I don't mind being wrong because I was, I was always constantly surprised and delighted by fun things on the show. But uh, yeah, I, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it's important to remember sometimes with with shows like this, where there's a lot of framework involved that makes you think that there's some kind of contest for some kind of inanimate object or some kind of thing that's always beyond your grasp. The show is not about that thing. This show is never about an Iron Throne. Sure, that's what the object that all the characters were pursuing, that was like the end goal for many of these characters to get to, but that was never the thing this show was about. And I think a lot of, of viewers had a really hard time watching, wrapping their brains around that one. Um, it, it was such a delight reading Twitter later that night after I watched the episode and just kind of seeing the, 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 the vitriolic reactions. I mean, Twitter's not a nice place to begin with more often than not. Um, but the, 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 the toxicity in the, in the vitriol that we're spewing from people about this episode, uh, filled my heart with all kinds of glee and delight because if you're watching a show about furniture, uh, I think you're on the wrong channel and you're not on HBO. So this is where the screen blacks and, and we do a, like a little micro time jump. The show moves ahead a, a few months. It doesn't really specify. Uh, but we see, we see Tyrion being escorted to the, to the dragon pit. Um, for some kind of a conclave. And uh, we, we know it's been several months because his beard and his hair is much longer. He's dirty, unwashed, you know. So I, my, 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 by my amateur estimation of the time passage and the growth in Tyrion's beard hair, I would say it's been a couple months at least. And it just seems like, um, it seems like there's definitely a lot missing from what's been going on in, the, the, in that time. As like what you know, what is the impetus for getting this conclave of of the last houses of Westeros to get together to meet at the Dragon Pit with Grey Worm of all people, leader of the Unsullied, who apparently now is just like an occupying force at King's Landing because they don't really seem to know what to do anymore. Um, they don't execute Tyrion, and we find out later, or we find out very shortly that that Jon Snow is supposed to be at this this meeting, this conclave as well, and. Uh, Grey Worm refuses to do that because he is their prisoner as well, and they are still very, very mad at him for killing Danny. Which is, is, is which is an interesting thing because I'm not sure I buy the fact that John just surrenders after killing Danny, and the Unsullied just arrest him. I, I don't know if that makes a lot of sense necessarily from a narrative perspective. I, I kind of wondered about that. Like what, what happened that convinced them to only arrest him as opposed to just killing him outright there in the throne room when they found him or, you know, or did John try to, did, did John try to pull a fast one? Cause you know, Drogon flies away with, with her body. So there's no body to find. So he could be like, Oh, I don't know where she went and just try to walk out the castle when no one's looking. I don't, I don't really know how that played out. I would be curious to see if that's something that gets fleshed out more in the books eventually. Whenever they, uh, whenever George R. R. Martin sees fit to publish them, so uh, again, this is this is actually the half of the episode where um, I, I get those kind of bewildering, head scratching moments. I, I buy into it, I go along with it, but there are some parts here where I'm just like, "All right, I guess I guess that's the thing. We're going to do that," and we'll talk about those here in a, in a minute. All right, so, so Tyrion's a prisoner. He's summoned to this, to this conclave with the remaining houses of Westeros, and they are to, going to decide the fate of the Seven Kingdoms and Jon Snow. Uh, apparently, Jon Snow is, is a controversial figure now for his actions. Half the kingdom wants him released, and the other half wants him executed. 
which again, I, I, a little fuzzy on the alliances that that Danny had drawn up in in Westeros. I, obviously, the the Unsullied and the Dothraki and the Iron Islands are in favor of of killing Jon Snow, but I don't really know that I would be that concerned about them. I, th- I honestly think Sansa could have just you know ran the northern Northmen into into what in the King's Landing and killed everybody pretty quickly because honestly there aren't that many Unsullied on Dothraki left. Danny's forces were pretty depleted by by the battle at King's Landing. So I'm not quite sure why there's even a, a debate. But I think what the show is trying to do is, is show us that we are now past the time of war. Now is the time for diplomacy. So that's why we have this meeting, because everyone is, I would imagine, sick of fighting at this point. And maybe that leads to some good decisions. Maybe, maybe it leads to some bad ones. I'm not quite sure. Uh, what's interesting in this scene, again, Grey Worm apparently has become the de facto leader of King's Landing, for lack of a better thing, better, better word for him. Uh, and he keeps demanding justice for the death of Danny, which I find laughable that Grey Worm, of all people, is demanding justice after he was uh, just seen, you know, casually killing prisoners of war a few, few minutes earlier in the show. So him wanting justice means very little to me. I'm a little surprised that the... Uh, that Sansa and, and the rest of that, that, that conclave of noble houses <laughs> cared what he thought, too. Uh, and again, Tyrion's a prisoner in this. But apparently he's running the meeting at the same time. So it's a little peculiar because they're trying, you know, I guess Westeros is in a standstill. And there's nothing, no, no decisions are being made because there's no king, there's no queen, there's, there's no monarchy to lead the people, as it, as it were. So they, they asked Tyrion, well, you're supposed to be so smart. What are we supposed to do? Which, again, this is a little odd that everyone all of a sudden just thinks that the, the character they all referred to as the imp and thought was an awful person is now in a position as a prisoner to dictate the future of Westeros. Uh, Samuel Tarly, bless his heart, proposes a, 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 a democracy, which is uh, quickly left down because uh, why would the noble houses want to give any power to the people beneath them? That, that'd be crazy talk. Um, and so what happens is, is so what they choose is, is a new monarch and a sort of a, a form of a representative monarchy where the king will be, supposedly will be chosen at the conclave. When the current reside, presiding king passes, this conclave will come together and they will select the next king. It sounds great at the moment because... Right now, you like I said, you have all these houses, and they're probably sick and tired of war. They just want peace. They want to go back to their, their, their the normalcy of everyday life. And I would imagine most of these houses have lost thousands of soldiers, thousands of, of citizens, not necessarily citizens, but you know what I mean. Um, they're, they're, nobody wants to go to war. So I, I'm assuming this is why they're agreeable to this solution. But who's to say that when their newly appointed king or queen, passes, because one of the points of this representative democracy is, not representative democracy, representative monarchy, is that sons and daughters do not automatically become kings and queens. But who's to say that, you know, after this cycle, when whoever's in charge of these houses now has passed on as well, that their sons and daughters who rise to power aren't going to start conspiring to take over the crown again and kind of begin a cycle just like the one we just went through. Uh, it, it, again, it, this, these are things that 
I don't think you, they that the creators Benioff and Weiss, the writers of the episode, the directors of the episode, and the showrunners of the show. I don't think they want you to pull on that thread too hard. And I understand why because it, it, it is a fragile, fragile thread. And uh, when you yank it apart, uh, pretty soon your sweater is undone. So what happens? Who do they? Who do they? They settle on. They choose Brandon. Brandon. Brandon Stark, the the three eyed Raven himself. Uh, it's an interesting choice. It fits with the logic of the show actually quite a bit. What is up for some debate is 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 Brand's actions beforehand. Like how much in his role as a three eyed Raven, how much does he understand about what was coming and what was happening? And he just did he just kind of let it all happen? I know they've kind of hinted that that the future is not it's not a set course. It's not a set you know it's not easily predictable because tiny little things can have a big effect on it. But do, but does Bran know that King's Landing is going to get raised to the ground by a dragon and he just kind of like lets it happen? Or is he like in a Doctor Strange scenario where he uh, he knows that like out of 14 million trillion scenarios, this is the one that has to happen and it involves everyone dying at, at King's Landing? I don't know. They don't really get into that. We don't get into Bran's headspace uh, in the show. It's one of the, the things that is lacking in in the show that they do very very well in the books because Bran is one of the point of view characters in the books. So kind of getting into his head is a little bit easier there than it is in the show where they've kind of made him in the. I mean, I'll just borrow like one of the one of the many paraphrases of, of Bran from the from the from the internet is that he is just the, the weird emo kid. <laughs> it seems like a gross simplification of his character, but that's you know whatever. I mean, Bran was not a popular choice amongst people watching the show they this is one of the things that set the internet ablaze with uh controversy and hate which again i guess i get it i you know i don't think anyone thought bran was going to be the 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 new king of westeros at the end of the show but again this show has taught us not to not to uh get too get too comfortable with our expectations because uh, this show loves to shit all over our expectations so I didn't have Bran coming out of this as the king. I thought he was going to be more of a, um, I guess, more of a Doctor Strange kind of person, if I was going to put it into Marvel Comics terms. Like, he would be, because he is so powerful, because he has all this knowledge and insight, he would be something kind of above a monarchy. But he's not. He's the king, and he seems up for it. And if we think back to the very first seasons of the show, I mean, Bran was being trained by Master Lewin at Winterfell to be the king of Winterfell. So, I mean, it's not like this is out of completely out of left field. Bran does have training, I suppose, in, in diplomacy and in, in, in being a monarch to, it, to an extent. You know, a, a lot of people have referenced the fact that he didn't want to be the king of Winterfell. I, I suspect it's because he knew. He knew this was coming. And he also knew that Sansa was going to be the queen of Winterfell because Sansa's demand, as, as everyone is agreeing to Bran, which... Again, I think everyone agrees to Bran being the king a little quickly. But I, I, again, I write it off to, they just want peace at this point, and they're willing to do... They, they don't have a reason not to pick Bran, I suppose, is, is the rationale for that. Now, some people have argued that Sansa wants to be the queen of Westeros, but I don't really buy into that, because I don't... Sansa's character definitely shifted uh, recently, where she was very comfortable as... The, the, the queen of the north, per se, even before she was the queen of the north. She was all about protecting the north, defending the north, what's best for the north. And I think as uh, the queen of the north, 
she will be very, very good in that role because that's that's what she asks of Bran, is that she that Bran let Winterfell and the, and the North be a independent kingdom, which is great for the North. But I'm not sure why uh, you know the guy from Dorne and and some of the other you know nobles aren't like wait we want to be independent too. But again, neither here nor there. Maybe uh, some of them just aren't up for it <laughs> at the moment. And I suppose Sansa's in a better position to, to kind of dictate terms anyways. So yeah, that's what we get. And then, um, again, I guess if I were to quibble about that or to nitpick about that, I think I was really hoping that there would be some kind of new system of government in place. Like I think we all knew a, a full-blown democracy or republic was out of the question. But I thought there would be some kind of shift away from any kind of monarch at all. Uh, it's like some kind of council or some kind of, uh, I don't know, I guess council is probably the best word I can think of to use it. It's, but some kind of representative form of government would come together to decide the best course of action together for, for everybody involved. Uh, again, so they just kind of shifted the monarchy into something different, but still kind of the same, because uh, the next scene we get is uh, the first meeting of the new small council. Headed up by, headed up by Tyrion, who's now been appointed the Hand of the King by Bran and and forgiven of his crimes by the King, which uh, which Grey Worm's not real stoked about. But we'll get to the other half of that, which kind of appeases Grey Worm in a minute. Uh, so we get to, we get a new small council. Uh, Sir Davos is on there as a as the uh, what do they call him the Master of Boats. And you got uh, you got Bronn as a master of coin, which that's odd, but we like Bronn, so I guess we just let it slide. Uh, Brienne's been promoted to have a she has a spot on the small council, and she's also the head of the Kingsguard now, which is uh, aptly, uh, which is one hundred percent appropriate for her, which is a, a good call on that part. And all of a sudden, uh, Samuel Tarley is the is also the the head maester, which the grand maester. Which again, that's a little odd too, uh, because as we saw previously, he was still with Gilly, and they were having a baby. So I, I have to check on uh, Maester's uh, rights for children and marriage and stuff like that. But it seemed like it, that seemed odd. I thought for sure he was going to go. I thought for sure Samuel was going to be released and to go back home and and be the head of the Tarley House. But apparently, that's not to be. So we kind of see the government coming back together in, in the future of Westeros. It, it's an odd little scene. It's, it's kind of funny to watch them kind of bicker back and forth. It's like, ah, ha, ha, politics is normal. Things are back to the way they used to be. Uh, what I want to mention, too, with, with Brienne being the, uh, being, the, being the new head of the Kingsguard is uh, she has a moment where she has, uh, she's sitting at the, at, the, at the table, at the desk, where the, the head of the Kingsguard sits. And she has the book, so she pens... She completes the entry for for Jamie Lannister, which I thought was a really nice touch for the character because, you know, she's loved that character for a very long time, and for her to be able to be the one who pens his story, and to Brienne is the one who gives Jamie, who kind of completes his redemption arc for him, and I think I might have just figured that out as I was doing the podcast because it took me a minute to get there because Jamie couldn't get there himself, which makes a fair amount of sense as well. But for Brienne to complete it for him, I think is very touching and sweet. With Brienne completing Jamie's story, uh, it does give him uh, redemption for for the generations going forward. You know, people will will read that book; they'll know 
They'll, they'll know a, a truer version of the character, the one that, that that Brienne got to know over the course of the series. And I think that's kind of a, a touching way to for Jamie to be remembered going forward. So a very, 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 very nice scene with Brienne, uh, kind of completing Jamie's arc for him. Uh, so that's all interesting. But what... Uh, where, where I think the show is strongest in, in its conclusion, and in this half of the episode in particular, is its, its handling of the Stark children at this point uh, and where they wrap them up at. Sansa is now queen of the new independent North, and I think that's a wonderful and appropriate place for her to end up. Sansa's journey from season one of the show has been... I, it, it's been incredible because I've done a 180 with this character since season one where I, I couldn't stand her. She was driving me bananas for two or three seasons. Um, and now I'm just like, yeah, Sansa's badass. I would, that, that, there's my queen. I'd follow her. She's pretty, pretty, pretty damn impressive the way she's not only, not only changed on the show, but just become like this incredible leader too at the same time. Uh, it's, it's, that's fantastic. So she is the queen of the North. Arya, who I think is hands down my favorite character in the show, uh, decides that she's leaving Westeros completely. She's going to go uh, in her words, west of Westeros, and uh, she's got—I guess she got the travel bug in her now. <laughs> she's going to go exploring. Uh, of, of all the characters, especially of the of the Stark characters, I mean, she is the one who who left Westeros. She went out and she saw the world, and she knows there's a lot more interesting and unique things out there to see. And I think that uh, is something that appeals to her. And she knows that uh, she doesn't necessarily have a place in 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 a Westeros at peace. Because uh, she is not necessarily an avatar for death, but I mean, she deals in it pretty pretty readily. So I I I think me and the rest of the world and the internet in particular are hoping that uh, Arya traveling west is one of these alleged spinoff shows for for Game of Thrones that are being developed because that would be amazing. I think we'd all watch that. Um, but it's it's nice to see her go and do that, and she's got a she and Arya has nice representation from the Stark family as uh, they are departing on a boat with this, with the Stark banner banner flying high and proud. And so she sails off into the sunset. And then, uh, then we get, we, we catch up with Jon Snow who is released begrudgingly by, by Grey Worm and the Unsullied on the condition that he be sentenced for life to serve in the Night's Watch. Why they're still a Night Watch you know, Tyrion says that there'll always be a, a need for a home for for bastards and for criminals. So I guess that's a thing. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what the Night Watch's purpose is anymore. Um, you know, the wall has a giant hole a hole in it. Blown, I was blown to shit by an ice dragon. And for the most part, they've mailed, everyone's made peace with the wildlings that live north of the wall. So that's a, it's it's a strange thing. There's even a Night Watch still, but I guess. I guess someone has to man the borders, the borders of the world of, of, of the living, just in case. Um, so yeah, that's that's a thing there. But what's nice about John's story is that he gets back up to the wall and he reunites with Tormund and he reunites with Ghost, which is just a wonderful scene right there on its own. Uh, but he he resumes the role of of the you know. Night, the commander of the Night's Watch for about three seconds before he decides this is not for me anymore, dudes. I'm I'm gonna bounce, and uh, he takes off north of the Wall with Ghost and Tormund and the Free Folk to go live amongst them, as a uh, as a Free Folk, I guess. I mean, he he's 
he's done his duty and I guess it's time to move on and away from it's time for him to put everything that's happened behind him. And the best way to do that is to go north of the wall and to start all over again. You know, being at the Night's Watch, being in Westeros in general, just a reminder of everything that's happened. And again, I think the character, uh, you know, John seems truly affected by his actions, by, by killing uh, by, by killing Daenerys. And uh, it, it haunts him. And I think... Uh, and I think it's always going to haunt him, and I think that's why he decides to do what he does because he can't he can't look around and see all these reminders of of her. Because I do I do believe that John loved her despite the incest. <laughs> but that's and, and that's the shot we get at the end is is John going through the woods with with Tormund and the Free Folk as they they go to find new homes, and that's the end of Game of Thrones. Again, uh, there it's it's not a. It's not flawless. It's not perfect. But I found it to be a satisfactory conclusion to the story. You know? And I th- I, th- I think it's a show that... I think it's an episode that will actually age a little bit better than the first reaction that people have to it. I think people, if, when they come back to the Game of Thrones down the road and they rewatch all the seasons and they, you know... Because this is a show that, that will continue to be watched. I have no doubt about that. And I think the show will hold up fairly well and I think people will start kind of picking up on some of the more subtleties in the show and some of the more complex elements that are that are alluded to and, and talked about and how they're kind of dealt with and addressed and I think they'll see that this is again it's not flawless there is there is a noticeable lack of depth that we had when the show was able to to work with work from the books and for lack of a better term, the, the last two seasons of the show has had to work without a net. And um, that is, you know, has been mixed. Mixed success on that front. But it's still a great show. And uh, I hope everyone... I'm sure everyone had a different reaction than I did. Like I said, I know Casey and Jeff had a, had a completely different reaction to, to the majority of it. I know Jeff said uh, this was his favorite season of Game of Thrones, <laughs> which is a bold statement on its own. Uh, and, and Casey had strong feelings too, but I know I know how much Cody loved it and adored every second of it, and and I can't fault him for that either. So I, again, this is a show that um, it evokes strong feelings, and I think that's the best thing you can ask for any kind of story at all is you want it to evoke feelings, whether they're positive or negative is up to each person. But the fact that you're getting an emotional reaction is it's that that's the important part of a story. You know, if you were just sitting there and you're just blah blah blah, that's not really going to be very good, which I know is a problem that Casey had with this show a little bit. Uh, I think she referred to it at one point as homework, and that's not very nice, Casey. <laughs> but anywho, that's, that's, that's kind of where I want to end things. Um, like I said, I love the show. I, I can't wait to watch the show again in more depth. And I also, I'm also looking forward to rereading the books because, as I alluded to earlier, there's so much more in the books that is so fascinating and so complex and so interesting uh, the characters that never saw the light of day on the TV show have uh, and have really fun arcs and really interesting things happen. And it, it, I love how the books and the shows just nothing's a clear line. There's always uh, there's always bumps in the road. It's uh, it's a lot like life, I suppose, right? I mean, that's uh, that's something I heard a lot from people who did enjoy the series was that uh, you know the show's pretty indicative of life in a lot of ways. And I think that's another good compliment that the show can take for itself. And with that, our watch has ended. Your son was butchered at the Red Wedding, Lord Mandley. 
but you refused the call. You swore allegiance to House Stark, Lord Glover, but in their hour of greatest need, you refused the call. And you, Lord Kerwin, your father was skinned alive by Ramsay Bolton. Still, you refused the call. But House Mormont remembers. The North remembers. We know no king but the king in the North whose name is Stark. I don't care if he's a bastard. Ned Stark's blood runs through his veins. He's my king from this day until his last day. I saved you. I saved this city and all your worthless lives. I should have let Stannis kill you all. Tyrion! Do you wish to confess? Yes, father, I'm guilty. Guilty? Is that what you want to hear? You admit you poisoned the king? No, of that I'm innocent. I'm guilty of a far more monstrous crime. I'm guilty of being a dwarf. You are not on trial for being a dwarf. Oh, yes I am. I've been on trial for that my entire life. Have you nothing to say in your defense? Nothing but this. I did not do it. I did not kill Joffrey, but I wish that I had. Watching your vicious bastard die gave me more relief than a thousand lying whores. I wish I was the monster you think I am. I wish I had enough poison for the whole pack of you. I would gladly give my life to watch you all swallow it. Samarin! Samarin, escort the prisoner back to his cell. I will not give my life for Joffrey's murder, and I know I'll get no justice here, so I will let the gods decide my fate. I demand a trial by combat. We're not gonna be fucking sunk this year! We're the Stanley Cup champions!